0: gentlemen, to another uh, episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 45, five more episodes to episode 50. I'm your co-host, Sam Thelman, joined with a new co-host for this episode, Zach Faldor, could not uh, join us for this episode. Instead, we got our friend, boss, uh, creative director of Hustle Belt, James Jimenez. Uh, James, how are you doing on this fine Wednesday uh, evening? I'm doing great. I have embraced the man-bun life since we last spoke.
1: and uh, the, yeah, Go ahead. As uh, so I haven't embraced the man-bun life since we last spoke and also picked up a great hobby in the pandemic. So I've been trying to be as productive as possible, all considered.
0: How about yourself? I, I've been doing good. Can't complain. This is the first um, episode since probably last summer i moved out of ball state so i this is the first episode since probably last summer that i'm recording out of my parents house i'm doing that once again trying to um give it the old college try on the podcast setup trying to figure out what works best but anyway um zach or uh i'm used to saying (laughs) zach for so many episodes james for our listeners who may know not know much about you since the last time you were on, um, why don't you give them a little bit of intro about yourself?
1: All right. Well, if you've been on Hustle Belt anytime since, uh, I don't know, say 2012, 2013, you've probably seen my name on a byline somewhere. I started out as exclusively a CMU football writer. And then, probably about six months to a year in, I was made an editor. And then when Alan came on as editor-in-chief, I was made basically the assistant editor-in-chief. My title has changed around a couple of times. So I've always been around in some variety as a writer, editor, and creative content producer. Uh, This podcast was kind of my idea. Uh, Bringing back the podcast, anyway, was an idea that I'd wanted to get off the ground for a while. And Sam was very enthusiastic about it. So I was happy to bring him on. Zach was very enthusiastic about it. uh, Brought him on. Graduated Central 2015, fire up chips. So I might have a little bit of a bias that we're speaking about a couple of these topics here. But yeah, that that's more or less what you know about me for the sake of this. And I'm a big sim racer. That is the hobby I picked up in the pandemic if you want to know one fun fact about me.
0: There you go. And every, um, every uh, orientation, you always have to tell somebody one fun fact about yourself. That's James for you. But... Um, before we move into the gritty um, of the news that just hit us over this past week, um, James, we did not get your reaction two, three weeks ago when Tony Barbie got hired as the Central Michigan head coach position. So, kind of take us through um, as a as an alum, as a supporter of the the Central Michigan Nation, if you want to call it, kind of what your thoughts are behind and uh, feedback behind the Tony Barbie hiring. That Central Michigan decided to go with.
1: All right, so I'm just gonna be upfront about this. Uh, any name that wasn't Dan Marley was gonna be a major disappointment for a lot of Chippewa country. And like seeing, you know, there wasn't really a lot of news in those, I think it was like a week and a half, two weeks that we didn't know who was going to replace Keno Davis. Like the fact that Dan Marley's name wasn't already out there didn't really give Central fans a lot of hope. In that regard, but that was going to be a that was gonna be a far shot anyway, in terms of being Marley there Marley is just fine out in Arizona, you know, he's made a life for himself out in Phoenix, you know, 20 years out there, as you know, as a player and a coach, and he's got a family out there. So I don't blame him for not wanting to come up to Michigan is all I'm gonna say about that. Uh, but that being said, I was this is Amy Folan's like first really big hire. As an athletic director and firing Keno Davis was her first really big act as an athletic director. You know, it, like a fully fledged one. And usually that usually that's an indication of kind of the like moves like this are an indication of what an athletic director is about. Like Michael Alford was very similar when he came in. Uh, when Michael Alford came in, he originally signed Bon Amigo to a, like a one or two year extension. Then Bono had that bad season. And I think it was 18 cut him loose, brought in a mercenary in Jim McElwain and kind of did the same thing in other sports as well. And all of those programs have picked up their performance in the meantime, like this is Fulan's first time making such a big hire. And she managed to get a bunch of donors to pull in $500,000 to buy out Keno Davis. And that was not a guarantee. He had three years left on his contract and he was let go. And, you know, in his comments, to the Detroit Free Press, it sounded like something that was very involuntary. So it's just one of those things where, you know, the home, or the, I'm going to have myself, where when you make the hire, it's got to be a home run hire if you're going to go out on a limb like that. Tony Barbie was not the name we were thinking of when it came to a home run hire. Now, you know, by resume, like Tony Barbie is everything you would dream to have if you're a, mid-major like central michigan is you know uh central's roster is basically stripped down to parts they've really abused the junior college route for years and years under for a decade under davis to the point where their four-year guys are riding the bench 12th 13th 14th guys out there and you have a whole bunch of people transferring out now and graduating and so you want somebody with head coaching experience especially at the power five level out in arkansas out in uh, Auburn, you know, and he has great uh, mid-major experience out with UTEP as well. But you know, sometimes like you want a name that hasn't been proven yet. Like when Keno Davis was brought in, Keno Davis was brought in as a guy with a proven resume. Like he had a great year out in Drake, taking over for his dad in retirement, and then uh, he went out to Providence. Out in the Big East, and he got to the tournament, I think you no know, nah, he made it, uh, he made it to several postseason tournaments, not the NCAA tournament, you know, and showed that he could shepherd a good program and graduate players out, which is nice if that's kind of the expectation you want, but like it stagnated after a while. And the fear that central fans had when they heard Tony Barbie is, oh no, like we're getting another keynote Davis. Like, this is kind of a situation where you actually kind of wanted somebody who was young and hungry and, like, eager to prove themselves as a coach, much like uh, Bruno, the guy out at NIU. He's going to be a first-time head coach over there, uh, former DePaul point guard. Like, that's kind, of, that's kind of the guy that, if we weren't going to get, you know, a Tom Crean or, you know, Dan Marley, that's the kind of guy that, well, you know, let's let's see what he's got. Give him four or five years, see what he's got. But you know, Tony Barbie's been a head coach three times in other places and he doesn't really have a lot to show for it. So like the concern is it's like what kind of hire is this for Central? Are you hiring Barbie with the expectation of him being a home run with the expectation of, you know, winning Mac titles getting into the postseason? Or are you hiring Tony Barbie as a caretaker coach until you find like that other voice that will take the roster over the top? So that's kind of where we are right now, uh, or th- that's kind of where I am right now. I shouldn't say we, I do not represent all central fans, but that's kind of the general vibe that I've gotten from a lot of my CMU, like basketball, hardcore friends out there is they're not really exactly confident that Barbie is the guy. And that's not to say that he can't be good or won't be good. But like looking at the resume and kind of how like everything fell, after a certain amount of time you do have a little bit of worry.
0: Yeah. But uh, I'm gonna
1: try and be I'm gonna cross my fingers and hope for the best because I just want to be able to watch CMU basketball again.
0: No, uh James, both me and Zach kind of have the same sentiment where we were we were for the most part pessimistic and and like you said, he could very well t- turn out to be the best hire that Central Michigan could ever really hire in that situation. But the the situation he's coming from this, I I just don't think it's the right fit. And um, Zach, or, or uh, sorry, I keep saying Zach. I mean James. Um, looking at who Eastern Michigan hired, does that make you kind of disappointed that you got? tony barbie in a sense because i think i think for both me and zach we see stan heath as a home run hire and it seems like central mission just kind of settled for tony barbie
1: but, Well, well uh, that, that that's also that call that, that also kind of paints how we feel about that hire mm-hmm. because you know here comes easter and like bam we got stan heath You know, guy who's proven he can make it to the NCAA tournament multiple times as a as a mid-major guy. He's got, you know, great discipline, experience, and you know, he's had success at you know all levels. Like he is thoroughly regarded as like one of the one of the better coaches out there. Uh yeah, one of the better coaches out there. And like Eastern needed a guy like that over there. Whereas for Central, it felt like they came back with, "Hey, we've got our own Stan Heath. You know, here's a guy with a great resume." And like I said, by the resume, that's a, kind of a home run hire. But like, if you look a little deeper into that resume, and you know, kind of go into you know the stories of what happened at you know Auburn, and Arkansas, is this was it really as good of a hire as we think it is? So, like, Eastern hit it out of the park. Like, they needed somebody. Who had a championship pedigree, and that's not to say that Rob Murphy didn't. He, you know, he was an assistant under Jim Beheim for a long time out there in Syracuse. But it just became apparent after a while that like that team needed a new direction. Like they weren't listening to that coach anymore. And that's not to say that Rob Murphy is a bad coach. It's just that Rob Murphy clearly had a different priority when it came to constructing his rosters and how he was coaching his team. Uh, Stan Heath, on the other hand, has proven experience and by by all accounts has been a great leader at every level and i think that's the voice they might need in order to understand that they have an opportunity you know in the mid-american conference to be a consistent team out there you know to be able to recruit in that southeastern michigan area you know maybe maybe they're not going to be afraid of oakland anymore like like the whole idea will like with Rob Murphy, Rob Rob, much like Davis also tend to come, also tend to grab guys from the JC level, you know, kind of giving up that recruiting ground. So maybe Heath turns that around as he has more more local ties, you know going back to his days with Kent State. But again, we're not really gonna know a lot about these teams. like so take the court in October, so like or, well September, August, sometime around then. So that's won't we'll have an indication of like whether or not these hires have proven to be right. All you can do right now as a fan of either Central or Eastern at this point is hope. But, you know, that was a couple of weeks ago. You know, I just wanted to give my take out there, you know, having the unique background that I have. And let's get into some of the news out here.
0: Um, yeah, and uh, speaking of news, before I know you guys are probably excited to hear our take on the Maurice Linguist, um, naming as the Buffalo head coach, but we're going to get into some kind of um lighter topics to touch on before we spend a lot of the time on that um new coaching hire. So, uh, so James, we had two big time transfers come in one for Ball State out of Michigan State, and then one for uh, Central Michigan, if you kind of want to uh, let the people know on what is uh, the, the two transfers. All
1: right, so the one I've got in front of me here is I'm going to go with Kyrie, just for simplicity to say. Kyrie Richardson. He is a walk-on from Oklahoma, uh, University of Oklahoma. He is, I believe, 6'3 and about 170 pounds. He'll be a wide receiver on that team. That's going to be a fairly interesting receiver room to look back on uh, both Khalil Pimpleton and Ja'Cory Sullivan both stayed for their extra year of eligibility and they've got some youngins down there in the in the depth chart as well so Richardson's gonna really have to battle for that spot he was a two star prospect from 247 sports out of Tulsa Oklahoma in the class of 2017 uh, initially signed with San Diego State uh, didn't play a down transferred to Coffeeville in Kansas at the JUCO route, walked on to Oklahoma, and now he'll be, I don't, I don't remember if he's, if he's walking on or if he was offered a scholarship, but he will be going to Central Michigan in some capacity. So that'll be really interesting to see. He hasn't played a snap of meaningful football in, goodness, like three or four seasons outside of 11 receptions in Coffeeville. So, you know, sometimes you pluck somebody out, like last year, Central plucked out Dallas Dixon out of like division two football and he worked out great. So maybe this is going to be another example of, you know, plucking somebody from obscurity and finding a role for them. Uh, you've got the name on the other person, right?
0: Uh, yes, I do. Uh, Ball state, my alma mater has decided to um, go out and get a big time three-star former three-star from the 2019 recruiting class from Michigan state, Damon Taylor, who is actually from the area from, um, Huntington North High School, not too far from Muncie, Indiana, which is the home of Ball State. So I'd say, Zach, both Central Michigan and Ball State getting big-time transfers, big-time Power 5 transfers. I think I think for me, James, the interesting thing for me, I want to see what um, Kyrie, we're going to both go with, um, actually does because, like you said, he has not played a down a, meaning, a meaningful football in basically four years. So I want to see how he fits in that depth chart, if he gets any playing time. And then for Damon Kaler, Ball State has a bunch of returning linemen. Maybe they're trying to save him for next year, and maybe he can be a starter moving forward. But for now, I think Damon Kaler is kind of a guy who's going to ride the bench until um, the the seniors slash six-year seniors um, for Ball State kind of uh, graduate
1: that's pretty safe. Uh, you know, given all the transfer rules surrounding COVID, where everybody has essentially an extra year of eligibility, it doesn't hurt to you know pick up a lot uh, a lottery ticket and you know see what you've got. You know, if you manage to hit on somebody who might have been under recruited or underplayed somewhere else, and they they even you know even if they're like wide receiver four, you know, or maybe a kick returner or you know a reserve rotation lineman that's still really good for the amount of investment that you're putting in. And, you know, a lot of teams are out there doing this. So it doesn't hurt. Like I said, it, just, it doesn't hurt to put a shot out there. You know, at the end of the day, it's one scholarship.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And um, uh, James, we have uh, I know the NFL draft has um, been. I've been what a couple weeks since the NFL draft happened, but there's been a couple unrestricted free agent signings. There's been a, a camp invite that we have to talk about. So James, if you want to take the people through uh, what what's been happening in the NFL Mac world.
1: All right, so there's been a, there's been a couple things out there. Uh, Jets Swire reported a couple days ago that one of their five UDFA tryouts is whoa, it's going to be a former NIU tight end Daniel Crawford out uh, out there in the Jets. So that's really nice. Uh, says that it you know twenty one passes, hundred eighty three yards and a touchdown last season. So he'll probably he's he's likely a camp body, but you know just the fact that he got an opportunity to try out is really good because uh, the UDFA class for the MAC this year was apocalyptic in terms of signings. like The next one we're going to talk about was a guy who played two years ago in uh, Nathan Rourke who was invited to New York Giants uh, rookie camp as a tryout, I believe. That one's really intriguing because he was under contract last year with the BC Lions of the Canadian Football League who did not have a season last year.
0: And, And if you don't know who Nathan Rourke is, he is the brother of I would assume is the, uh, James, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he would probably be the starter this year again. Uh, Curtis, yeah, Curtis, Curtis
1: Rook is yeah. likely your starter again this year.
0: Yeah, and and looking at the Giants' depth chart, in case you're curious, quarterback-wise, ESPN had, had listed, obviously, Daniel Jones, Mike Glidden, and then Clayton Thorson. So I don't know how likely um Nathan Rourke is gonna be able to stick around but hey who knows they may decide to go with Nathan Rourke instead of Clayton Thorson we'll just have to see but yeah shout out to these guys for getting an opportunity any opportunity um is is uh special even for a guy like this isn't mac related real fast but like tim tebow even got an opportunity this
1: oh don't get me started (laughs) that's that's a that's a topic for a different podcast i go off about that all day (laughs) but uh but but back to but back to Rourke real quick the real Mm -hmm. fascinating thing about that is you know for those who are uninitiated nathan Rourke went by air canada You know, when he was a quarterback out here, I think he's like the all time leader in rushing touchdowns and yards by a quarterback. I think might be total yards, period, for a player. Total touchdowns here by a player. Uh, Dude is a baller. You know, first team all Mac at least once, if not twice. I think offensive player of the year. Yeah, uh, dude was great. He got drafted into the CFL by BC Lions, you know, before, you know, the world went to hell. In 2009 and 2020, uh CFL canceled their season. So the way that like the CFL amateur draft works is that they have provisions in their contracts where contracts can be voided if they have an opportunity at the NFL. So Rourke's gonna have the choice here. You know, if the Giants do offer him a spot, you know. Does he want to be on the Giants practice squad, assuming he doesn't make like the top two? Or does he want to try and have a chance at the starting quarterback job out in British Columbia? They've had they've had a veteran presence there established for several years. And who knows how long that career is going to last. But no, it kind of comes down to opportunity. Like if the CFL doesn't play again this year, you know, he might not have a choice but to go and try his luck with the Giants. But if the Giants don't take him and the CFL is in play, he's kind of stuck in this strange limbo in terms of his football career. So, you know, fingers crossed that it does work out for him either way. But that's a situation that I, for one, will definitely be looking out for.
0: No doubt there. And uh, moving on to some, uh, some kind of two assistant um, coaching hires, we have Eastern Michigan and Central Michigan adding some assistance to their uh, coaching staff. So first, um, Zach, let's take through the people through Eastern Michigan's hiring. They decided to go out and get Bob Simon, Sean Trice and Drew Dinisco as the assistant coaches uh, as, um, as Stan Heath um, plans his uh, coaching staff around him. And they,
1: you know, looked him up real brief. I'm not going to proclaim to be an expert by any means on any of these coaches, but you know like like we said with both the HUD coaching hires you know they've got the pedigree and now it's time to sit out there and prove it more or less uh
0: yeah no doubt i i think the one name that stands out for me in eastern michigan really highlights it in their article if you're interested eastern michigan um has an article about um the head coach or the assistant coaching hirings is the bob simon hiring they they really t- um Kind of boast him up. He has more than twenty five years of co- collegiate coaching experience. He um, he's a uh, coach on Sienna's co- uh, coaching staff, Maine's coaching staff, Alabama's. He helped Sienna go to the um, M-A- uh regular season championship and tournament title. And it just seems for me, Zach. He's also a Eastern Michigan alum. Not only are they trying to build a coaching staff with Eastern Michigan roots, they're building a coaching staff with a lot of experience, a lot of success at kind of different schools. And for one, I think Eastern Michigan has had a tremendous off season uh, with their uh, coaching hires.
1: It's a, yeah, it certainly sounds like 25 years is not, is not something to shake a stick at, especially for an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And you know, like you need, a blend of experience on a coaching staff like that. And the fact that like Stan Heath acknowledges is that that uh, acknowledges that is a great indication of, you know, the kind of direction they're going for. I'm looking at uh, Chris McMillan, who's going to be an assistant coach at central. And it seems like he gave up a pretty good opportunity at the same position over with Idaho state, Uh, his uh, tweet announcing his hire, uh, very flattering to Ryan Looney out there. You know, he's like, he says the past two years, I've had a front row seat, see how he turns programs into championship contenders. And while they haven't cut down the nets, you know, they're going to be on their way, you know? So it sounds like he's under the understanding that when they go out when that, when he does go out to Mount Pleasant, they've got a big job ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, that's another thing that you have to take into account when you're putting together a staff is, you know, where is your, where is your team right now? Because not every situation is okay. We have to tear it down from the roots. Centrals might be because central's roster isn't that bad of shape, but, you know, Eastern, maybe all they need is just a different blend of experience voices to get the best out of the talent they have right now. Whereas here it sounds like they're really trying to bring in like a degree of understanding and culture for Central's hires.
0: And, and I, th- I think what's interesting is the different paths Eastern and Central Michigan are taking with their coaching staff. Eastern Michigan is going for a more um, experienced, more winning side, more um, more coaches with roots within the program itself, a lot of alumni. And Central is more going for people outside the program we, we talked about their head coaching Harry being a K- Kentucky assistant, um, Chris McMillan being a Idaho state assistant with not a lot of ties to the program. So just maybe different philosophies. I'm, I'm a person with the mindset as a fan. I like to see coaches come in with ties to the program that alumni are kind of going to be able to jump up, um, gravitate towards kind of like because you have ties to the program you're already investing in the program you put in your time here already and you're just trying to get back to the program and for me um James that's kind of where I like Stan Heats hiring more not just how he's been able to win at the next level but he's going to be able to have alumni buy in and have fans buy in because he's already he's an alumni he's been a part of the fan base and he went out and got an assistant who who is also an alumni of Eastern Michigan
1: right and you know very briefly going back to like Central's idea here is that like Central hasn't had a coach like a head coach at the men's basketball level anyway that has had ties to the Central Michigan community in 20 years plus so like that was part of the fervor as well when like Davis was finally fired was are we going to get a guy with connections? Like we're going to get a guy that we can, you know, cheer for that's been here and like kind of knows the culture, which is why it was kind of confusing when Barbie came in, but you know, you just got to give them a chance Mm -hmm. at some point. And we're going to, we're going to see their muster when it comes time to play the games September and October. But I think I know what everybody's here for and it is not basketball Mm -hmm. at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, as much as we like basketball, basketball will have its time, mm-hmm. but football is eternal. It feels like. And Maurice linguist is going to be the new head coach over at the university at Buffalo. This was a hire probably about a week and a half, two weeks in the making. Cause Lance Leipold accepted the Kansas position, like right before the start of the draft, which is a very, very late hire, but Kansas is under some very unique circumstances to say the least, in terms of their hiring process. And so, you know, that left Maurice Linguist. Uh, do you want to go down some of the credentials that Linguist has got?
0: Um, yeah. Um, my my first thought on the reaction, my first reaction on Maurice Linguist being hired in, James, it almost seemed like a a quick turnaround. We talked about, me and Zach, briefly about that they were talking about hiring a guy on Friday and that kind of came true with Maurice linguist. And I kind of had the idea looking back on it now, did Buffalo kind of have a sense before you talk in Maurice uh, linguist and whether he's a good or bad hire, did they have the sense that that um pulled was going to leave and have a guy in mind kind of in waiting because it just seems like quite a turnaround to go from no head coach to basically two weeks or probably less than that to hiring a guy that everybody even Cleo Mac tweeted his support for it just seems wild to go from you have a guy in Leipold who you you have for several years who just led you to the Mac championship to him leaving and then boom you have your your guy that everybody loves like James, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it just seems like that Buffalo, to their credit, was prepared for this. And and I think this is a pretty good hire.
1: I say it it was not the best kept secret that uh, Lance Leipold was going to be leaving Buffalo. Mm -hmm. Like it was just kind of written in the stars, you know, all through this season. Like a lot of the intrigue of the season was how far can Lance Leipold go? Like he had the spotlight on him pretty much from like the end of the prior season. Like a lot of, you know, he was, he was among those names from the Mac that were attached to basically any coaching vacancy out there. So it was only a matter of time before he was set to leave. It was just a surprise that it was as late as it was. And it was to where it was in Kansas. It was very reminiscent of uh, PJ Fleck heading out to Minnesota at the tail end of that uh, the tail end of that coaching carousel now in terms of uh whether they had somebody in place or not that's a different conversation uh i think they had an idea of who they wanted to get uh both of the coaches they ultimately looked at had more or less the same backgrounds they both played defensive back in college you know they both immediately went into both immediately went into coaching after graduation they both coached defensive backs uh you know all all throughout their career, uh, except for the other guy who I'm struggling to remember the name of right now, even though I wrote the pre-write on him. I used to be the head coach at May. Now he's the co-defensive coordinator of Minnesota uh, on their staff over there. But that was the other candidate they were looking at. Uh, but they had in mind, they wanted somebody who was young, who knew how to recruit, and had a defensive mindset. And that's everything that they're getting here. Maurice Linguist. Uh, Maurice has landed, I think, in eight or nine different programs as a defensive as, as a defensive back coach. Uh, he was set to be the co-defensive coordinator this year, replacing Don Brown at the University of Michigan. He'd already installed. Uh, he'd already installed his schemes during their camps in the off season. He was very active on the recruiting ground out there in the Midwest. Uh, this is all from uh, Anthony Broom at Misenbrew. Uh, shout out to a fellow Chip. You know, so he was a very big part of what they were doing out there in Michigan. Uh, last season, he was a defensive backs coach for Dallas and they had a, or for the Dallas Cowboys, I should say. And they had a pretty all right season out there in defensive backfield. So he's got a, he's got a slew of experience at the collegiate level and at the pro level. You know, he played the position you know, he, he's basically lived his life in the defense. So it'll be very interesting to see what he does given his first opportunity, especially considering that this is a team that's expected to compete immediately. They return a lot of their previous talent, even in losing you know, Jarrett Patterson and Antonio Nunn. So it'll be an interesting watch to see what the expectations will be for that Buffalo team and for himself.
0: I I I think for me, I think this is a good hire because, like you said, they're they're expected to compete immediately. And I would say, uh, James, you could disagree with me or not. I would say one of their flaws last year, and you could see it in the Mac championship game, especially, was that their defense wasn't as dominant as it had been in previous years. Like, like I was watching the Mac Championship game as a Ball State fan. And it just didn't seem like that much of a struggle for Ball State to move the ball on this defense. To their credit, they didn't really need to rely rely much on their defense with Jarrett Patterson's and the RPO style that just allowed uh, Buffalo to flourish offensively. But defensively, they allowed uh, Dustin Crumb to put up big numbers. He's returning next year, obviously, Drew play, And I feel like a lot of the MAC offenses are going to be good next year and you bring in a defensive-minded head coach who could turn around this uh, Buffalo Bulls defense to be a good thing. Now, to see what they do on the offensive side of the ball, they'll still have Kevin Marks, obviously. They'll still have um, – they won't have their top receiver and Antonio Nunn. I'm kind of interested to see how they do offensively. But, James, I'm expecting big things um, from the defenses. Are the Defensive side of the considering the background that Maurice Linguist has,
1: certainly. And th- you know that is a coaching philosophy that could work in the MAC, uh, like you just said. There's a lot of good offenses in the MAC, and especially in the MAC East. You know, you, you you just mentioned. You know, Kent State has a really good offense. Ohio and their pistol. You can never underestimate Ohio and their pistol. Uh, you know, Miami's had a pretty decent. Has had a pretty decent ball control offense. And, you know, the number one one way to neutralize a good offense is with an even better defense. And, you know, it's going to be a risk, certainly. Uh, The MAC is known for being an offense, a league that favors offense. But if Linguist can play his cards right, get the right talent in there, you know, get the right coaching staff in there, that team's already talented as it stands. He's going to have a great base to make that from. It'll be. You know, I, I said it earlier when I was talking about uh, PJ Fleck leaving Minnesota, and they hired Tim Lester. You know, within about a week or two after PJ Fleck left, like the expectation is going to be a caretaker coach. Like this is going to be a guy who's going to come in. He's already going to have the base that he needs, you know, to compete immediately. What the difference is going to be when it comes to determining linguist success, and ultimately this is why Fleck kind of or not Fleck, sorry. Uh, Why Lester gets a lot of his flack is what he does with that base of success with with that base that he's given, you know, does it improve over the next couple of years or does it kind of, or does it kind of descend? that's going to be the thing to watch. And the most telling difference is going to be on defense because the offense is more or less going to be the same as it was last year. You know, but like I said, the defense was really their weak spot in the last couple of years And that's where they're going to have to do a lot of their work. If they're going to want to, if they're going to be able to climb over the hump and win that MAC championship.
0: And speaking of you, you mentioned the coaching staff that Maurice Linguist hiring. He already made his first hire in Joe Cawthon, who was last hired by Arkansas as a defensive analyst in 2021. Um, Before that, he was the defensive coordinator slash linebackers coach at Houston. So, you, you already have your defense uh, figured out. You obviously have Maurice Linguist. He's bringing in his background. You go out and get an Arkansas defensive analyst in uh, Joe Cawthon. I think I'm, I'm more interested to see in who they bring in offensively because I think you're right, James, in the fact that I think they're going to try to keep – um, mostly everything the same offensively you are losing uh KO uh, on your offensive line you're losing uh, Jarrett Patterson Antonio Nunn but for the most part you have most of your guys there so your offense should relatively main the same but maybe the the guy they bring in might change up the philosophy a little bit but yeah um Joe Coffin is definitely a interesting name I'm um not really familiar with him to be honest but um yeah, uh, James, is there any final thoughts before we move into our last uh, general news uh, topic on the Maurice um, Linguist hire?
1: Now, uh, Joe Cawthon did work with uh, Mo Linguist at Valdosta State. Uh, they were both defensive back coaches. Or no, actually, uh, sorry. Uh, Cawthon was the head coach at the time. Linguist was his safeties coach out in Valdosta. That's a that's a D2 program that has a history of success out there and Cothin was a very good defensive coordinator at the fbs level he directed uh arkansas State's defense in the sun belt when they had that like serious ascent up from uh, 2014 and 2018 and then he went to the acc with houston uh, they ranked 55th in the nation this year which is fairly decent considering that they're a uh, you know, quote unquote a power six. You know, that was the first year of a new administration under uh Dana Holgerson out there. And it could be kind of hard to blend in, but even knowing how hard it is to blend in there, he still did, you know, he still kept above the the top half of defenses in the country. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, when he does come down into the Mac, you know, what kind of philosophies he'll have as a defensive coordinator. Because you know, as a defensive coordinator, because you know at Arkansas State, another Group of Five school, excellent, did an excellent job. So, gotta hope. <laughs> you gotta hope if you're out in Buffalo.
0: Yeah, I agree there. And um, before we move on to the spring sports section, uh, we've got some some news coming out of the MAC regarding uh, postseason tournaments. If James, you want to touch on that?
1: All right. So, uh, very briefly. Uh, If you folks remember last year, uh, actually today, uh, the day we're recording, is the one-year anniversary of the day that the MAC canceled eight postseason tournaments due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, The original plan was to shelve them for, I think, four academic seasons and kind of do like this auto-bid entry kind of deal. Good news. All eight postseason tournaments are back. And... Uh, Volleyball has expanded from four teams to six starting in the 2021 season. Uh, The sports that are being reinstated for tournaments, men's soccer, women's soccer, field hockey, volleyball, men's tennis, lacrosse, women's tennis, and softball.
0: Uh yeah, and and for me, James, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm completely ecstatic. Not only for the student athletes who work really hard to to play in these tournaments, not only for the conference, but like you said, everybody expected this COVID nineteen thing to have a lasting impact uh, for many years, and and it's probably still will. There's no doubt about that. But to see um, stadiums come back, see fans come back, like me and my parents were talking about going to a uh, A. we have a um, team called uh, the Indianapolis Indians. To see where we are at one year from where just complete devastation, I, I'm i impressed by. I, I, I think the way we went about it uh, had its ups and downs nonetheless, but I think for the most part, uh, where we are now, I, I'm just ecstatic. I didn't think um, sitting here May 12th, 2021, we would even be talking about stadiums. We'd even be talking about conference tournaments coming back in. And I think I'm just, I'm just super happy that we are where we are at, considering where we were a, a year ago.
1: No, certainly. This is, this is wonderful news if you're a fan of the Mid-American Conference or, or college sports in general, uh, like you said. Mac had an up and down uh, response to everything that happened, but I think you know they made their adjustments. They realized that hey, we're able to foster an environment that can be safe and you know reasonable in terms of financial costs. Because that was the other part of the motivation for eliminating the postseason tournaments was we don't know if we can really afford this right now. So the fact they're able to bring them all back, it wasn't just like oh we'll bring back four now and you know we'll consider the other four later is a great indication that, you know, the conference has really done its homework on this type of deal. So there's a lot to rejoice about in that sense. And I'm looking forward to being able to celebrate more potential championships on, you know, on the court or on the field, as opposed to on a sheet. Because, you know, regular season's great and all, but, like, there's such a vital difference between, like, being able to take it all in the postseason and, like, being told you won you know what i mean
0: yeah and i th- i think a, mid- a thing you mentioned is cost. and i think i think another thing i'm grateful for is everybody was panicking um come march and we were wondering would ball state would all these would all would teams in the mac have to cut all these sports and cut all these teams and yes there were some universities that ultimately had to cut sports but i think the damage was a lot less than people expected, and and I didn't think that, um, let's say for example, a a season like field, a a sport like field hockey would survive, a season like um, women's soccer would survive, and I'm just glad to see not only that these postseasoners are returning, that all these sports made it through, and hopefully the sports um, throughout um, that did get canceled can come back because, I. I, I think a a year ago we were we were just like what what implications does COVID have for all these um small uh, conferences like the MAC and it's just it's just a relief knowing not only did they survive but we're at this point where we can bring back uh, postseason tournaments.
1: Yep, <laughs> you caught, you caught me uh, looking ahead here to our next segment. I'll have to admit that, yeah. but you know. A year ago, not a lot to feel good about. So just the fact they were able to sit here and talk again about, hey, you know, it's all it's all coming back. We're getting we're getting to a sense of you know certainty and normality, and that that feels pretty good, even knowing that it's going to be a little further out in the future. You know, any residual damage that did happen, you know, like you were just talking about, like some teams had to be cut. You know, that's unfortunate, but they might have been cut anyway. You know, and that it was just one of those things where like extenuating circumstances forced it to happen earlier. And again, you don't like to see that, but that's kind of the reality of that type of deal. But regardless, we're very excited to be able to report on all that postseason stuff around this time next year. Now that it's all back in handy duty, we will in the next segment talk about baseball, softball, track and field. And so much more.
0: And I, I say, uh, James, let's let's before we touch on all the championship, uh, let's give the people some baseball breakdowns. We haven't touched on baseball in a few episodes due to the kind of draft coverage we we're providing. So, um, James, if you want to kind of give a uh, quick breakdown on on the standings and what's been happening in, in uh, baseball real quick.
1: All right, this is, this, is where the, this is where the epic music comes sweeping. I don't know why I'm doing Hawaii 5-0. Uh, <laughs> all right, so down at the bottom of the table, we have Akron. They're at 5-27 and 27 in the conference. No, it's nice to have Akron baseball back. You know, that, We were talking in the last segment about you know, programs being cut due to the COVID pandemic, but Akron's an example of a team that endured, that managed to come back through that after being cut you know, earlier due to financial circumstances. Uh, Bowling Green, Northern Illinois, Eastern Michigan, all tied at 11 wins apiece. Uh, Eastern Michigan is up in terms of winning percentage since they have 14 losses. Northern Illinois, 17. Bowling Green, 18. Uh, Then in the middle of the table, it it, like the middle of the table here is so jam-packed. Like I I can't get over it. Uh, Western, uh, let's count here. One, two, three, four, five teams all within about a game of each other. Uh, Western Michigan is up the top of that in third, 16 and 12. Ohio, 15-13. Kent State tied with them at 15-13. I think Ohio holds the overall edge, 24 and 17. Miami at 15-15 uh, apiece, 500, 22 and 22. They're at the, the dead middle of the table, and then Toledo, 13-13, 15-27. 13, but the two teams that you always have to worry about in every given year in baseball, without a doubt. Ball state in second place 21 and seven they just won a vital two games over the league leading Central Michigan Chippewas my beloved Chippewas who are currently at 22 and 6 and 30 and 13
0: and um, and for you if you uh, baseball fans missed it uh, as James talked about they had a um, series this past week in which they split for and and I think I think um, I, th- I think we have to – the the series was everything that Mac baseball fans wanted, each, of course, winning two games. But the games were entertaining as crap to watch. You had the first two games go Central Michigan's way, 7-3, 3-2. Three, three, and then you had uh, a, a blowout by Ball State, 13-3 game, the edge. And then the final game capped off 7-8. So, James, I, kn- I know – me being a Ball State fan, you being a Central Michigan fan, um, we, of course, don't want to lose to each other. But in a series in four games, I don't think this series could have gone better for a, for two teams who are, I think we can say now, clearly the top of the MAC. Um, you have two games apiece going either way, two close games, 3-2 on, on May 8th, and then a 7-8 um, game in which Ball State came ahead May 9th. I think the series was – Kind of the series of the um, the highlight of the season in Mac Baseball, and it in it, it delivered in my mind.
1: Oh yeah, no doubt. Like I I was seeing you know national baseball writers get really excited about CMU Ball State. I think they're two of the top. They're they're at least in the top twenty five uh, per Baseball America. So you had a lot of eyes looking at this series here, and the fact that you know they were able to split it is fantastic as well, especially for the conference, because that means that the, the title chase gets that much more exciting for baseball. Looking at it right now, you know, Western Michigan's in third uh, regards to them, but they're probably nowhere close in terms of winning this title. They're five games behind ball state at the moment. But the fact that they split the series means that over their remaining series and the central has three series left. I don't know how many off the top of my head, Ball State has; it gives those games more meaning because these two teams are only one game out of each other. Uh, Central Michigan's at twenty-two and six. Ball State is at twenty-one and seven. If Ball State wins three of those four games, you know they're on top
0: of of
1: this league at the moment. So, yeah, at this point, these teams control their own destiny in terms of winning the MAC title. And that's really cool for Mac baseball.
0: Yeah. And, uh, ball state uh, for reference, I just looked it up has also three series left at Ohio. Uh, their first series, then a home series against Miami, Ohio, or no, no, my bad first series is uh, a home series against Kid state followed by an away series at Ohio. And then the, the final series before the, um, before the postseason is a home series against Miami, Ohio. And Zach, or I, I keep saying Zach, my <laughs> bad. I'm, I'm just so used to saying Zach. Uh, James. No, no, I, you, you've said Zach for like
1: 44 episodes. I can understand why it would be really hard in the 45th.
0: <laughs> um, I think people have to be wondering. I saw tweets about this. Is this a season in which the Mac gets a two bid Uh, two bids essentially in the postseason tournaments. I mean, that's just it.
1: Like if these two teams like play it out over the rest of the season, say they win. I mean, this is going to be really hard to do, but like say they both win every remaining game like in their remaining series. That's I think that's something like six games, six to somewhere between six and nine games If they can get at least you know, seven of nine or five of six or something like that. It would be really hard for, you know, the NCAA to keep both of them out, Mm -hmm. especially since you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's a postseason tournament this season due to everything that happened with COVID in the last season.
0: Yeah, I I don't I don't believe there is because the on on my schedule that I'm looking for for Ball State, it goes from the Miami series straight to the NCAA regional series.
1: Yep, in that case, yeah, in that case, that's true. So whoever's on top of the table will be, you know, the the official Mid-American Conference bid. So at that point, it's incumbent on whoever finishes second to put as good a resume as possible together. And I think Ball State's going to be able to do that. They're two they're currently two and one on neutral fields. They have a great record away, uh sixteen, you know, sixteen and eleven. It's really hard to have a winning record, you know, away from your home grounds. They're 12 and two at home. You know, it would be really hard to sit a team with a resume like that at home. I think if you're the NCAA bidding committee, and you know, vice versa, it would be really hard to keep Central Michigan away. Uh, they are 18 and nine away, but they had some fierce competition uh, in the SEC in some of those away games and showed themselves to be a pretty feisty team. 12 and four at home. They haven't had any neutral games yet, but uh, they've shown in the past in NCAA tournaments that they're not afraid of neutral ground. So, like I said, it's going to be a very hard decision for the NCAA in terms of whether or not to allow one or two bids for the MAC. I am extremely biased. I think there should be two bids. I'm sure Mm -hmm. you would also say the same thing. But as we all know, the NCAA uh, is kind of a smoke and mirror show when it comes to their selection process. So we'll have to sit around and see on that.
0: Exactly. Uh, Oh, go
1: ahead. Oh, go, go, go.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, as we do each episode, um, we, we love to give uh, love to Ohio baseball for firing their head coach and having a tremendous season. I want to give a shout out to them once again for having a 24 and 17 record, 15 and 13 uh, conference record. They're just having One heck of a season, despite the turmoil, their coach retired this offseason. They've somehow managed to find themselves in the middle of the pack of the the Mac school. When you have a team like Akron, who's just bouncing back from reinstating their program and having a struggling season. It's just it's just amazing to see um, the position Ohio um, baseball is at considering the um, um, kind of circumstances they were given heading into the season.
1: Yeah, and uh, shout out to Eastern Michigan, too. They're on a seven game win streak right now. I don't know if you've seen that recently, but that's shot their record up. They were previously at the bottom of the table, you know, alongside Akron. They're now 11 and 14 in conference, 17 and 19 uh, overall. And they also have the best uniforms in the MAC. <laughs> so
0: hit on you. Good on you for having the best um, uniforms in the Mac, but um, James, let's head over to the softball pitch, and we had somebody clinch the uh, Mac title in softball. For a while there, it was a tough race between Miami, Ohio, and Ball State there, but this past weekend, we got the answer to the question, who's going to come out on top of the the Mac there?
1: And it was indeed uh, Miami. Uh, they end up clinching the MAC title in their doubleheader against Ohio. I believe they clinched it in the first game. I want to say.
0: I believe you are correct. He, I yes, I believe you are correct.
1: Yeah, so they clinched it in the first game, and they had a little bit of a celebration in the second. Uh, they actually mercyed Ohio thirteen to four in five innings in that nightcap. Over there, and now they're going to have a little five-game victory tour before heading out to the whichever NCAA regional they're going to grab. I do
0: believe
1: it's their yeah their second straight Mid American Conference regular season championship,
0: and um. For for uh, just to just to break down the t- the standings real quick, you have Miami at 32 and two in the conference record, 42 and 8, followed by Ball State 27 and 8 in conference, Kent State 20 and 15 in third place, Toledo 16-15, Bowling Green, um 18-20, Ohio 16-18, Buffalo 16-18, Central Michigan finishing the um so far 14-18. Northern Illinois, 13-23. Western Michigan, 10-24. And, and Akron, once again, like baseball, uh, bottom of the conference, 7-29. An astonishing 8-42 record there. Ooh. Um, yeah, no, nobody likes to see that bad a record for any sport. Um, Zach, I, I have not seen any reports on anybody talking up the two um, big league in baseball like I have in softball. I'm not sure both State's chances after obviously Miami's getting in the auto bid. I um, maybe maybe you have some input, but um, what what do you think about both State's chances as at getting a um, spot in the NCAA regional? I, I'd say I'm still not Zach, or uh, <laughs> sorry, James. Sorry, no, no, it's okay. I I actually
1: find it I, I find it fairly amusing. <laughs> uh, pull, uh, pulling up those. Standings at the moment but yeah ball states right up there at 27 and 8 two wins i just think that overall looking at that overall record it's 33 and 18 it's going to be really difficult i think you know just looking at it on paper you know for the ncaa to be able to uh, to be able to accept that especially considering that third place in the mac at kent state 24 and 25 under 500 so it might uh the mac might not be seen as a as a fairly deep league but you know, that that's that's less on like the conference itself and more on just Miami's dominance in general. It's very hard to finish uh, to finish a season or to be in a position to finish this season with uh, single digit losses as they're at right now. They're on a seven game win streak. I highly doubt they're going to lose two more games and hit that magic double digit on the right side of the column. But, you know, Miami's earned it. It's their first time in five years going to the NCAA regionals, and I will be uh, interested to see where they go from here.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And if you're curious to, the, to hear who those two losses were, it it was a May 2nd game against at Bowling Green in the uh, four-game series and then a loss against Ball State dating back to April 20th, 420, funny enough. Um but yeah, again, you just have to credit Miami Ohio for being able to get it done. Only have two conference losses on the season, eight in total, 42 and eight. Basically, flip, flip, Akron's, flip Akron's record, and you have Miami's uh, record if that gives you any um, indication of where they're at. You only have one. I, I think the telling stat line, James, from this is not only the dominance. They only have one loss at home, 21 and one. And unfortunately you can't, um, they're most likely not going to be able to play the NCAA regional at home. So you look to their away record and it's solid too, 19 and five neutral, not so good two and two, but that away record 19 and five gives you hope heading into that uh, NCAA regional whoever they end up playing.
1: Yeah, uh, like I said, Miami absolutely dominated their season. Congratulations to those ladies out there. Second straight, by the way, uh, Mac uh, Mac championship, and they've done so, you know, despite you know despite all the circumstances that we've been going through over the last year. Just the fact that like they were able to be that dominant, given everything that happened during the off the cancellation of spring sports last year. You know, it, it feels bad sitting around that long. But the fact that they are able to get up and go do something about it is wonderful. No, doubt. that's enough for the softball. I think uh, we do have one spring sport left to update for you before we end the podcast. And that is track and field.
0: Yeah. So as James mentioned, the track outdoor track and field championship did happen May 7th and 8th. And while we are not going to talk about each um, individual um, event that happened, you can actually check that out on the Get Some Action site. We are going to talk about the specialty awards and then both the men and women's team that did end up uh, winning. So uh, on the men's side of things, uh, Miami Ohio similar to softball did get the uh, men's outdoor track and field championship and then on the women's side of things kit state managed to get their um, outdoor track and field title uh this past weekend
1: yep that's right uh, let's start with the let's start with the men here real fast uh, their first track and field championships is 1993 for the Miami Redhawks uh, they stood a Yeah, they stood up top. They managed to beat Akron. Akron is an excellent track and field program. They've graduated uh, many NCAA record holders, many MAC record holders, a handful of Olympians. So for Miami to be able to throw the gauntlet down and win by a pretty significant margin is wonderful for them. Uh, They won with 161 total points. Uh, Akron at 150.5. Eastern Michigan, also another really good track program historically, 136. Kent State, fourth, 113. And then Buffalo coming in at fifth place with 85.5
0: points. And and um, James, this isn't Mac related, but I, I don't know if you saw in the news that um, what DK Metcalf did this past week, and it kind of puts in perspective how good – these track and field athletes if you're if you're not an NFL fan DK Metcalf a renowned athlete on the field just built like no other a Seahawks receiver went out there and competed in the Olympic trials and only finished ninth i believe i i don't know his exact measurements james you, you if you can pull him up um dk metcalf he he's something a- like 64 180 6'4, maybe, maybe
1: up
0: to I, 200. I, I'm looking at Google. It says this isn't official by any means. 6'4, 229. He's a freak of nature. Um, he ran the 110.37 seconds, only finishing 15th out of 17. And for me, that just shows how impressive these athletes um to tie into. Oh, the Mac aspect of it, just how special these athletes are. We may not give them as much attention to the track and field as let's say football or basketball, but to their credit, they're, they're amazing athletes. Miami, Ohio getting a, a Mac outdoor track and field championship is impressive to me because you see an NFL athlete try and go out and compete against professionals in track and field. And he came in basically almost last. And I think for me, James, that that speaks volumes to how just impressive these athletes are. And we sometimes forget how gifted they are.
1: I I say certainly Uh, like straight line speed in football is very different from like a track and field speed where you, where there's a lot of technique involved. And I'm thank you for, uh, filibustering there i was just looking up some of the results here the top time in the preliminaries for the 100 men's dash was 10.3 uh was 10.4 or 10.24 by amir willis of akron so that gives you an indication of just how fast uh a lot of these guys are out there but yeah congrats to miami it's like i said it's their first since 1993 Something to be very proud of. You know, They beat two excellent uh, MAC programs, two traditionally excellent MAC programs in the process of doing that as well. For the women, it's Kent State, shocker, who else, playing the MAC Women's Outdoor Track and Field title. Uh, it's their first title since 2014 on Saturday, but traditionally they're a very strong program. Uh, their coach was named the MAC Coach of the Year, earning the award for the 10th time on the women's side uh, they won with 102 points overall. Eastern Michigan second with 90. Miami third of 89. Akron fourth, 83.5. Fifth, Toledo, 82. Sixth, Northern Illinois, 78. Seven, Bowling Green of 74. Eight, Ball State of 60. Also tied for 60, Central Michigan. Buffalo in 10th, 42.5. Ohio eleven of 33. And in 12th, Western Michigan, excuse me, with 24.
0: Yeah, and, and I think what speaks, um, what's impressive to me is Eastern Michigan landing a top three performance in both men's and women's. Uh, in the, on the men's side of things, Eastern Michigan plays third. On the women's side of things, placed second. So the, the track and field programs for both men's and women's, like you mentioned, the, the, the men's section, Eastern Michigan's program is really strong. And that rings true uh, this year.
1: Oh, certainly, certainly. And, you know, track and field was one of the sports that was most affected this season uh, by COVID. So, again, just the, the mental tenacity for all these students to be able to pop up and perform like this, even given the circumstances, is beautiful on its own.
0: No doubt. And um, James, let's run through the uh, specialty awards for the track and field. We got the men's most outstanding field performer, Brandon Burke, from the University at Buffalo. On the men's most outstanding track performer, we got Sean Torpy coming in from Miami, Ohio. The assistant coach of the year, which is which is a little bit unusual to me, is D'Amica Stokowska coming in from Stokowska. Akron. Stokowska coming from Akron. We got women's most outstanding field performer, Gabrielle Bailey from Kent state women's most outstanding track performer, Olivia Betchel, Miami, Ohio, and then women's assistant coach of the year come in to Nathan Fanger from Kent state. I, I don't think there's any, um, really few surprises considering both Kent State and Miami, um, were, were the respective team um won the respective titles uh coming in at two two for Miami uh and then uh two for Kent state awards
1: oh certainly and then you know when you look down at some of the like uh, some of the stats they put up you can see instantly why you're talking about Dominica stokowska uh the men's assistant coach of the year uh she tally champions in the 100 the 200 the 400 and the 400 hurdles in the duration of the Mac championships and also coached the MVP as well as a freshman runner of the Mac championship meet. So safe to say she definitely earned that assistant coach of the year award. Uh, Brandon Burke. He's been a name that's been around track and field for a good while. I remember writing the sports report and he seemed to be up there for, you know, track and fielder of the week, every week uh, he won the men's high jump with a mark of 2.2 meters, which is about seven, uh, 7 feet, 2.5 inches, which is his career best, ranking 8th overall in the NCAA East and 15th overall in the NCAA, uh, won by a clear 10 meters over second place. Uh, Torpy was the track performer, won a 1,500 meters, placed third in the 800 meter as part of both of those team sweeps. He has qualified into the NCAA East prelims in both of those events. Uh, Nathan Fanger, he was the Women's Assistant Coach of the Year. Uh, His Kent State Golden Flashes won three of the four throwing events, totaling 54 points, including a 1-2 finish in the discus throw and shot put to get 18 points there, with uh, I think two other schools combined to earn that many points over four throws combined. So safe to say it was a dominant performance for Kent State on that side. Uh, Gabby Bailey... Won the shot, put, and discus throw at the MAC championships. Uh, She was the uh, women's most outstanding field performer. Had a season best throw of 55 feet one inch, about 16.79 meters. All five of her attempts went at least 16.57 meters, and no competitor did better than 15.5, which are uh, the top two marks by any NCAA Division I competitor during the week. So we've got a lot of great. Uh, track and field athletes help you representing the Mac in the postseason regionals which I believe are in Jacksonville this year
0: okay um J- James I I always like to to learn something new why why is it that they have assistant coach of the year and not head coach of the year oh uh they they did name head coach of the
1: year for the women that's Bill Lawson okay that coach of the year and uh give me a couple seconds i'll see about trying to find the men's coach of the year uh sometimes the the max website can be kind of confusing when it comes to
0: okay okay that, that makes more sense because i was looking at the assistant coach of the year i'm thinking why isn't there a head coach of the year but that here that we go makes...
1: it's uh tom chorney okay. who is uh Mi- miami's miami's
0: track coach and then my next question is: Why don't other sports do assistant coach of the year for say like basketball? Considering I mean, assistant coaches play a a heck of um, play a heck of a role in other sports such as basketball.
1: You know, that's actually a really great question. I know we had uh, Jeremy Guy on on our first episode. He's the assistant director of uh, communications. Or assistant commissioner, director of communications, out there for the MAC. That might be a question I, I feel to him moving forward because you know assistants should get their time in the sun. I think, and the fact that they do it for track and field, I think it's because in track and field, assistant coaches do a lot more direct work. Okay. Than perhaps a head coach. This is this is of course speculation. Mm-hmm. Don't take me for an authority. But you know, you're not you're not wrong necessarily mm-hmm. about. About that idea. Oh, <sighs> boy, my lips are dry. I haven't <laughs> I haven't been on the mic like this in quite a while. Uh, any any last thoughts you have about any of the Max sports that have been going on over the last week or so?
0: Um, nope. I I I love all the news that we're getting in a random May um week, considering the fact that um really. It had been a, I would say, a pretty relatively dry um, week until the Eastern Michigan hires, the Central Michigan hires, and Buffalo hires. I love all the news we're getting this far into the summer, considering how close we are to uh, football season starting back up again. Of course, we don't have basketballs and winter sports seasons for a while, so... Yeah, uh, James, uh, I I'm just really I I just really like all the news we're getting this far into the the summer.
1: Certainly, it it you know it can get dry sometimes. Uh, April in particular was on those was one of those months. I was like, oh man, you know, like once you get past draft coverage, it's just one of those things where there's not a lot happening. But you know, we will stay strong in the summer. Uh, we are definitely working on uh, trotting down some interviews and getting maybe some features coming into the podcast or you were talking about that earlier this week, we have a couple of names we're already looking at. It's going to be a great time for everybody involved. I might pop on for a couple episodes just to kind of shoot the crap. Uh, <laughs> so to speak with, with you folks so they can properly call Zach, Zach and myself. James. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm really excited to see what next season brings, especially now that we've completed a coaching carousel. Finally, in both football and basketball, like I can, like I said at the beginning of the show, I just want to be able to watch Central basketball again. Now I have a reason to watch it again. Kind of a deal. So, you know, onward and upward. You know, this is episode forty-five, or we're hoping to make it a lot more.
0: Yeah, no doubt, and this will be the end of the podcast here um, for uh, Sam Thoman um so uh uh james jimenez who i called uh, zach my apologies several times <laughs> throughout the podcast 40 i would say probably like 42 to 43 episodes with him it's i i get used to calling zach zach and and um james was gracious enough to come on so james thank you again for doing this i had a blast um Hope, hopefully, you guys did enjoy this episode of Episode Forty Five. As usual, you can follow us on Twitter at Mac underscore Bandwagon. Again, give us ideas, give us interviews you want us to do for the future. We'll try to reach out, try to make them happen. Again, this podcast is about you guys. Just give us feedback. That's all we want. And yeah, uh, we hope you guys. Uh, we hope to talk to you guys next Friday. Peace.